Good morning, Anthem Church. So the quieter y'all are, I add about 15 or 20 minutes on to every point. So just so you know, <clears throat> at this point, we'll be here till 4.30 this afternoon. So the more you interact, the quicker that we'll get out of here. Um, I, I, Rick told me right before we started, completely wasn't prepared for this at all, but that's okay. Uh, in a few minutes, you'll figure out I can talk on a minute's notice about pretty much anything. But Rick said I needed to introduce myself. So I want you to stop just for one second. How do you introduce yourself? I mean, seriously, what am I supposed to say? I don't know, just introduce yourself was, was, was his answer. Very helpful. Thank you, brother. Uh, so I'm Perry. Uh, my wife and two children, we have been attending and serving and at Anthem uh, since about this spring. Uh, to give you something interesting about myself, I think that liquid soap is the demise of our society as we know it. You laugh. First liquid soap, now foam soap. What is that stuff? Seriously, it's in our bathrooms. I know it's there. It's because the ladies put it there. That's all I'm just... Give me a bar of lava soap. That's something about me. So I'm Perry. My wife, Becky, is sitting over here. She has our smallest child that at this point is snoring. Um, our oldest child is 13. She, if, you have, if you ever come up to me and say, you have such a delightful family, I know you've spoken to my 13-year-old or my wife. And when the children's workers quit on Sunday, I know that my youngest daughter has been in the nursery. So that, that's a little bit about me. <clears throat> we are in the third week, the final week of a series preparing us for Thanksgiving. So here's sort of the ground rules, the disclaimers, here's the fine print, all of this. I sort of give it every time I preach, but make sure that we're all on the same page. I'm going to talk fast, you're going to listen fast, it's going to be great. I tend to be a little backwards, like if you give me a magazine, I don't know why, it's subconscious, I don't do this on purpose, but I start at the back and work my way to the front, and somewhere in the middle I figure out, why did I start in the back and work my but I've done it my whole life. So that's who I am. Here's the deal. <clears throat> we We've been in a three-part series preparing us for Thanksgiving, okay? Now, this is completely unchurch-like, okay? Everybody ready for unchurch-like? Take your spiritual hat off for just a second. Really, what's the point of Thanksgiving? I mean, think that through just for a second. What's the point of Thanksgiving? Now, right now, I'm going to help every big man in the room out, okay? Don't look around. That could be a little awkward. Every big man in the room, this is, this is his fear of Thanksgiving. I know this. I am one. I'm being transparent, vulnerable. This is difficult. Please hang with me here. Thanksgiving, you usually eat multiple meals, correct? Correct. You usually eat multiple meals, correct? Yes. You go to one place and eat, and then you go to another place to eat. Now, here's the deal. Some of you ladies can get by with like a little plate with stuff on it right? Some of you dudes that are more like run for fun, that's sort of an oxymoron in my mind, but you run for fun type, you know, you can get by with a normal size moderate plate. Every big guy goes to his first meal on Thanksgiving thinking this, I'm going strictly for the things that mean the most to me. I'm going to the meat, the potatoes, not messing with any of that green stuff, I'm going strictly for the stuff that is there for the taking, the prize. I'm going to do a small portion, because I know that three hours later, I've got to eat again. And just like game day in college football, you've got to have your game face on. Because this is what happens. When big guy goes through the line, he gets a little bit on his plate. There's always some lady that is offended. You don't like my cooking? What's wrong? And then they start doing this thing. Now, I don't understand why people think they can just do this just because you're a big guy. They start putting stuff on your plate. You should have to, like, bring a sign-in, a sign-up sheet or something on Thanksgiving and say, okay, this is first quarter, I got two more meals to eat today, don't touch my plate, don't get near my plate, don't add anything to my plate, and don't judge me for what is or is not on my plate, okay? Disclaimer about Thanksgiving. Now, 
Some of you, if you are a guest here, we're glad you're here and you're thinking, what in the world have I gotten into? I promise you this will come full circle in just a minute. So we've looked at two things to this point. This morning we'll look at the third. Dealing with the idea of how or when or in what avenues are we thankful or grateful. I'll use a little bit this morning the term thankful, thanksgiving, grateful, sort of interchangeably. But if you'll remember the first week, Pastor Rick shared with us how we express our gratitude, how we show our gratefulness through the idea of praise. Now, here's the thing, a couple of things you should know about that. Number one, I was supposed to preach that morning, and uh, Saturday morning I woke up, well, I actually never went to sleep Friday night, woke up with a high fever and very sick, and I sent Rick a text, and I was afraid at some point he was going to come to my house and lay hands on me without praying and punch me because he basically had 17 minutes notice, hey, you got to preach tomorrow morning. Rick did a great job expressing to us this idea of how we show our gratitude, how we show our thankfulness through the idea of praise. Now, here's the important thing. Praise, praise and worship, those terms can never, ever, ever, even though they are lots of times in our church society, they can never be equated with a song that we sing or a set of songs that we sing. Rather, it's the life that we live Monday through Saturday to prepare us to come to a place like this to corporately express our worship, okay? It even speaks about in the passage that Rick spoke about that we offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice in order that we could be an acceptable praise in the ears and the nostrils of God. There is the idea when we want to genuinely understand this idea of being grateful as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus, that there is this idea that the life we live expresses our gratitude towards God. Okay? Now, week two. I feel as though I should say this before week two. Before I even recap week two a little bit. <clears throat> Number one, week two was the most difficult of weeks. Justin did a great job last week. Primary was the most difficult week because it dealt with the idea of giving. Now, some of you are much too spiritual to agree with me with what I'm about to say, but that is, without a doubt, the most uncomfortable subject you can talk about in church. Agreed? That's okay, I agree for you. Why? Because most of us, if we're honest, at some point in our life, we have got this idea that the church is just after our money. One or two of you, thank you. God bless you. I'm with you. I'm following you. Our money. Here's the thing. When we look at the idea of thanksgiving and gratitude as it relates to how we give, God does not want or need a dime from you. He wants you. He wants who you are. Now, years and years ago, I'm being a little vulnerable when I tell you this. Years and years ago, I read a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. In that book, he made a statement that I argued with tremendously. Now, if you don't know me, I've introduced myself to you. I can argue with anything or anybody. I argued with a book for months over this. In that book, he made this statement that the way a man or woman who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ give is the direct or is the best way to judge their spirituality, and where they are in the process of knowing Christ. I argued with that. Ain't no way. No, 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 no. Ain't no way. In reality, sooner or later, as the Holy Spirit usually tends to do, he began to remind me, yeah, that is a pretty good idea because where your heart is is where your treasure is. And the thing that you treasure most really gives you a little bit of an idea about where you're at in this process of knowing and following hard after Jesus. So Justin did a great job last week talking about the idea that we show, we express our gratitude in the way that we give. Now, here's the disclaimer on the series. At this point, Rick is sweating because I've not even got to where we're going. 
Uh, and if you can't tell, I got a little bit of a frog thing going on in my throat here. here oh, I should have told y'all this earlier. Uh, I don't know what it is. I woke up with this allergy thing. I have over-medicated to the point of nearly overdose on cough drops as we've been singing. So I've eaten two packs. At this point, I'm a little, everybody's blinking every time I blink. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> I have prayed severely, Lord, please do not help me cough or sneeze. Now, here's the reason the sneezing is important. Because if I sneeze, some of y'all sneeze, and it's, it's like cute. You know, it's like, <laughs> I can't do that. If I sneeze, I pull a liver, and it's just, it will be disastrous. So I, I'm trying very hard. If I have to stop and drink a little water, you know where I'm at. Here's the disclaimer before we look at the third week of the series, okay? Here's the disclaimer. This series is really sort of like a, a down-to-earth, raw, transparent family conversation, Okay? Have you ever been at a place, like, maybe when you were kids and you were at a friend's house and his mom's like, hey, I want you to eat supper with us, and, like, during supper, a spontaneous yet very awkward and weird, like, family meeting breaks out where mom's fussing at somebody about, like, stuff that's been left in the bathroom floor and grandma's upset about something and dad's run over a bicycle and you're just sitting there thinking, I just thought I was getting pork chops. I don't know what's That's sort of what this series is about. Now, Now, let me explain that to you. That doesn't mean... That if, number one, you're not a follower of Jesus, there's not so much that is applicable to you. Matter of fact, it's probably more applicable to you. But what we've tried to do, just like in taking up this offering uh, that that we've taken up today, what we've tried to do is share with the body of Christ, with the body of the Anthem Church, this is where we're going, this is how we experience Thanksgiving on a real and intimate level. So this week, to be honest with you, is probably the simplest and yet the most profound. It's probably the easiest to put on a piece of paper in one sentence, but to unpack it and to see how it genuinely affects how we live Monday through Saturday is a little bit difficult for us. This week, we are looking at the idea of being grateful in our receiving. Grateful in our receiving. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we all have something that we just want, okay? Now, here's how you find out what that thing is. If your spouse is sitting beside you, you could ask them, what's that thing I talk about to the point that you want to just like slap me about all the time? You know, is it a new house? Is it like the ultimate dream house? Is it a new car or truck? Is it a new boat? Is it a new something? Most of us have something that we just want. Some of us, it might be stronger. Some of us, it might not be as strong, but most of us, if somebody would come in and say, right now, no monetary limit, I'll give you anything you want, what would that thing be? What would that thing be? All right? Now, here's the idea of receiving and the gratitude, the thanksgiving associated with that. If I walked in, and that thing for you is a house, and I walked in right now with the keys and the deed to that house, and you flipped out, you got excited, you started squealing like a middle school girl, you jump up, you hug me, you kiss me, that would be weird, you hug me, you kiss me, and then you turn around and run right back out without taking the deed or the keys, nothing has changed, right? I I gave it to you, but you didn't receive it. So there's two aspects of this receiving that's going to make it a little hard for us to make a spiritual connection. The first one is this, you have to actually receive something, okay? This is the problem I've seen in my own life in 20-some years of ministry in some form or fashion. This tends to be the greatest problem for people that have grown up their entire life in church. They know all the answers. 
They know about Jesus. They know about the cross. They know about an empty tomb. They know about this. They know about that. They know about this. But there's never been a point in time in their life where the ideas and the concept of what we call the gospel has intersected their life in such a way that it changes who they are. Here's the deal. Did youth ministry for a while. I think I mentioned that a few weeks ago. One of the questions you continually get in youth ministry is how do I know that I'm really saved? <clears throat> how do I know that I'm really a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, here's the answer to that. Is there a point in place and time in your life when you can look back and say, who I was before and who I am now is different? Because we cannot meet the person of Jesus Christ in a real and powerful way and leave the same men or women that we were before. There's the idea of receiving to the place that it changes who we are. Second part of this idea of receiving that makes this a little challenging is that we have to come to the realization that absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing we have, nothing we do is a part of from the hand of God. Does that make sense? Nothing. The air we breathe, nothing is separate from the hand of God. Now, there's three obstacles to understanding this idea of gratitude and receiving. The first one is this. I'm going to go over these real quickly right now. We'll revisit them again. The first obstacle is a lack of humility. <clears throat> lack of humility. Now, most of us, if we're honest, struggle in some way, shape, fashion, or form with the idea of humility. Not me, Perry. That might be a good indicator you do. Just if that was your first thought, that might be a good indicator. Most of us struggle with it on a various level. Ideally, perfect example, my wife and I are polar opposites. That whole thing about God attracts polar, that really happens. Polar opposites. She's quiet. Well, I'm not going to fill another part of that. I'm the opposite of that. <clears throat> I'm the saver. She's the spender. I mean, we're just polar opposite on everything, all right? When it comes to humility, it's easy when Perry's not being humble. You know, I'm patting myself on the back. I'm telling you what I did. I'm telling you what I didn't do. I'm just waxing eloquent about how awesome I am, okay? Same token, sometimes people who are a little quieter can have the same issue by their quietness. Here's the ironic part about that. My brother is identical to my wife in that. Like, he's the quiet person who wins arguments by not arguing, and I'm the arguer who keeps arguing even though he's not arguing. It's really awkward at Thanksgiving sometimes. <clears throat> so number one is a lack of humility. we got to be honest with ourselves. Is there an area or areas of our life that we lack the idea of being genuinely humble enough to admit nothing we have, nothing we do is apart from the hand of God? The second one is this. To recognize that everything comes from God. That is so countercultural. All right? So countercultural. And let me tell you why. When you're a little kid and you start school, what are you taught? The harder you study, the more you'll be rewarded. The better grades, the more you'll be rewarded. If you play sports, what are you taught? The harder you practice, the more you train, the better you'll be, the more you're rewarded. When you graduate and you get a job, what are you taught at, jo at your job? The harder you work, the more money you'll make. Everything in our life makes this connection by the more we do, the more we'll receive. But in reality, we have to understand that absolutely nothing comes apart from the hand of God. When we go to school and we study, where do we get the intelligence from? Where do we get the brain power from? Where do we get the ability to open a book? Where do we get, most of us didn't choose where we were born. Where do we get the ability to choose where we'll go to school and who will teach us? All of those things come from the hand of God. What about our sports? 
We might practice hard and train hard, but in reality, who gives us the muscles and who gives us the mental capacity and who gives us the blood pumping through our body and the oxygen to breathe? It's the hand of God. When we go to work, who gives us the job? Who gives us the business to do whatever the work is? Who gives us the brain power and the ability to put our hands on something and fix it or solve it or whatever the case may be? Nothing happens apart <coughs> Excuse me, from the hand of God. Number three, that a lack of faith to believe all of God's promises. The last obstacle is when we lack the faith to believe every single one of God's promises. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Sorry, awkward moment to drink water. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created, notice this, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Do you see that? Everything that God has created was created for some purpose. The purpose of being received by us with a heart of thanksgiving. Who's the us? Those who believe and know the truth. We'll get to that more. Verse 4 says this. <clears throat> For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is, here we go again with that same phrase, received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer quickly let me ask you this question what makes something holy what makes something holy like if you go back in the old testament i love old testament stories if you go back in the old testament and you enter into anything related to the temple there's always objects <clears throat> that are considered holy what makes those objects holy if there's a knife that is used to sacrifice an animal on the altar of god what makes that knife in and of itself holy it's because it's been set apart for a specific purpose in the work and the practice of the temple. It's the same thing for us as believers, as those who follow Jesus, as disciples. Thousands of years later, on this side of the cross, the same thing that makes us holy is that we've been set apart by God for a purpose. So what's your purpose? And are you living up to and fulfilling that purpose. What's your purpose? What is the thing that God has set you apart to be holy by? What is it that God has separated you for? What work, what service, what thing has God used to set you apart? Now, <clears throat> I want to explain this in just a little bit of a, a, a little way. It's going to be a little awkward. I'm man enough to admit that before it happens. This is going to be a little awkward. Most of you don't know this. As we talk about this idea of receiving our gratitude, our thanksgiving through receiving. I really struggled with this this week. Actually, for a couple weeks, to be honest with you, because it just wasn't clicking. It wasn't making sense in my mind. And there was one specific time, actually probably a multitude of times, but one specific time that kept coming up over and over again in my mind that really showed me the picture of what it means to receive by faith 
Acknowledging everything comes by God and with gratitude. So most of you don't know this. Not that we've tried to hide this. It just rarely comes up in conversation. Uh, My wife, I, and our oldest daughter, Colton, celebrated a, a pretty weird anniversary this past week. Six years ago, I was diagnosed with a very aggressive stage four, random, no rhyme reason, why does Perry have this cancer? Uh, And at that time, we spent about a year and a half every other week being in and out of the hospital. I spent about three years where I did not work at all. Now, you can sort of imagine that if you spend three years without working, and during that time frame you acquire more bills than you have the first 36, seven years of your life, that financially sometimes you sort of scratch your head and think, this is never going to work. Over and over and over again during that time, I saw the provision of God in some of the most amazing ways. Now, before we go any further, make sure that we know this. Most of the time, the instrument that God uses to provide for us are us. Is us. Are us. Is us? It's us, okay? Us. We're the means that God uses to provide for the body. Nine times out of ten. I don't mean that God can't do supernatural things. I don't mean that things can't happen that we can't explain. But most of the time, the way that God provides for his children, for the body, is through other people in the body. We can agree with that, right? So on one particular day, and and I'm being a little, just honest, just just to be perfectly honest with you. There was one certain day, and nobody in the world, two people, Well, I guess three people. Three people knew that we owed a specific amount of money for something very, very important in the life of our family. Three people. I knew that. Becky knew that. And the person we owed that knew that. That, I mean, that's it, honestly. The amount was $749. Now, that's a lot of money, but in reality, that doesn't seem like that big a deal. Back up a little bit, three years, not working, no income, lots of stuff going out. Every time you go to the doctor, you owe them $452 million, and they want all of it right now. That's sort of where we're at, okay? <coughs> so on this particular morning, I'll never forget this. On this particular morning, I, I was pretty sick. To say I was pretty sick, just to be honest with you, I probably wasn't smart enough to realize how sick I was until towards the end of this whole process, which was probably a blessing in, in and of itself, to be honest with you. I, I lost about 50 pounds, which... That's a lot for me because I've been this size since like seventh grade. I'm not joking when I say that. From the summer of sixth grade to seventh grade, I've grown one inch and I've gained about 20 pounds. I was this size as a seventh grader. So for me to lose 50 pounds is a big deal. I lost every stitch of body hair that I had. My eyebrows fell out, my nose hairs. I'd be sitting there, it's a little gross, but I'd be sitting there and Becky would be like, and I'm saying, Wipe your nose. Okay, I'm sorry. I got it. You know, I mean, this was, it, it was, we, I went back one time. I saw a friend of mine that I went to college with <clears throat> after I was getting better. And he's like, man, you look, you look good. You look so good. And he said about three times. It creeped me out a little bit. So I went back and got Becky's camera and started looking. I was like, man, I look like E.T. I had no hair. My, I look like I've been in this fight. My eyes were sunk. But so it, it, was, it was an interesting time. I was sick enough at this time that, to be honest with you, all I did was I would get up out of the bed when I was at home, not in the hospital. I'd get up. I'd sit in the recliner. And every once in a while, I'd go back to the bed, and that's, that's honestly about all that I did, which in and of itself almost drove me crazy, if, if, I'm, if we're being honest. On this particular day, $749 is due. Tomorrow, by the way, that's an important part of this. Tomorrow, $749. My wife, in all of her faith, says, the Lord will provide. And she goes back, and uh, she's changing the sheets, or she's doing something. I don't know what she's doing. 
I, on the other hand, in my lack of faith, am walking around wanting to kick the dog. I'm just, there's no way. The world's coming to an end. What are we going to do? Woe is me. I sit down in my chair. <clears throat> I see a vehicle pulling our driveway. I had to be honest with you. God provided in amazing ways. I could just list story after story and people and random stuff that just happened over and over again. If you would have told me that morning someone's going to come to bring you some money, the person who pulled in my driveway was the absolute last person that I would have picked and pulled in that driveway. He knocked on the door. <clears throat> it took me a little while. I got up, opened the door. He just simply said this. Mama and I, referring to his wife, Mama and I were thinking about y'all, and we wanted to give you something. And he handed me a check, and he shook my hand. He said, I know you're sick. I know you're not up for company. He shut the door. He got back in the truck. I could not make this up. The check was for $750 exactly. $750 exactly. So not only was the bill taken care of, we had a dollar tip. <laughs> God showed up, and he showed out a little bit with that, just to be honest with you. $750 exactly. So I'm like, Becky, you know, I mean, it, I was a little weird at that time, like I had fell a few times, and she was always panicky, thinking I was dying, which I probably was, which in hindsight, I probably should give her a little more slack about that, but she was running up there, what, what, what? And I'm like, you're not going to believe this, and I'm crying, and I'm slobbering, and she really just says, I told you God would provide, and turns around and walks off. <laughs> and at that point, I'm thinking, woman, you better get back in here. I mean, I... I was completely mesmerized. <clears throat> she had the faith to believe that God was going to do what God had already promised to do. I didn't. I was thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? Instead of realizing absolutely nothing comes by Perry's hand. Because I didn't have the humility to recognize I couldn't do it anyway. Because I didn't have the sense to recognize everything we have, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, comes from the hand of God. Because I didn't have the faith to believe all the promises of God found throughout Scripture. Now this morning I'm going to do something that's completely different. I never do this. But I'm going to ask you to turn to a second passage. Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 25. <coughs> Excuse me. This is why I'm going to ask you to do this. I never ask you to look at two passages. I, I, I try to be very focused on this. All week long, I've struggled with this idea. Okay, receiving, thanksgiving, God, I don't get it. Receiving, thanksgiving, God, I don't get it. The lesson that I've learned in my life over and over and over again, that the best commentary on the scriptures is the scriptures. And all week as I was studying, as I was thinking, God kept bringing up this passage. And I'm going to be honest with you, Luke chapter 15 is one of two of my hands-down favorite passages in all of Scripture. John chapter 11 is the first. If you don't know what happened in John chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It's an amazing story. God has used it to eat my lunch numerous times in my life. Amazing story. Second is Luke chapter 15. <coughs> Luke chapter 15, we don't have time to go through it all, and I hope at some point in time to preach part of this again to you in, in a different setting for different reasons. But Luke chapter 15 is amazing because Jesus tells us three parables. These parables grow in importance of the items talked about in the parables. They're progressively getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The first one is this. There's a man who's got a thousand sheep. He loses a sheep. I don't know how you lose a sheep, but he lost a sheep. So the Bible says he left the 99 and he went till he found the one he could bring it back. Second parable is about a woman who has 10 coins. <clears throat> coins are a little bit more valuable than the sheep, evidently. She has 10 coins. She loses one. He says she loses her mind. 
She cleans everything out of her house. She sweeps every cranny, corner, crevice until she finds that one coin. Third parable, <clears throat> which is my favorite, is about a son that is lost. Now, most of us, if we have any church background, we know it not as the lost son, but as the prodigal. There you go, the prodigal son. Amazing story. I'm going to give it to you sort of the cliff notes. I love it. One of the most amazing stories, one of my favorite in all the scriptures. There's a man who has two sons. <coughs> His youngest son comes to him, and in a huge display of disgrace and disrespect, he says, pretty much, I wish you were dead, and if you would be so inclined, I want the financial gain that I'll receive when you do die. So, by law, the father could have had his son executed for disrespecting his family, for disrespecting the nation of Israel. It, 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 a lot of could have happened there, but the father, because of his grace, because of his love for his son, says, okay, I'll give it to you. The son takes the money. The Bible says he goes to a far land. As he goes to a far land, he squanders all his money in what is known as prodigal living. What is prodigal living? He was living it up. He was partying. Drugs, alcohol, sex, prostitutes. You say, Perry, how do you know all that? Part of the reason I know that is because the way the oldest son will respond that we'll see in just a minute. He blew every penny that he had. He came to a point of such desperation that one day, while he's eating slop that is fed to hogs, he says, what in the world am I doing? My father has servants that live better than I'm living. So he said he got up from his far country. He walked all the way home. The whole way there, he's planning what he's going to say to his dad. Father, I've sinned again. No, 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 no. Dad, I've sinned. I meant, no, 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 I won't do it. whole way there. <clears throat> the Bible says that before he can get there, and before he can give his pre-planned speech to his father, that the father sees him from a distance, which means, number one, that the father was looking for him. He runs to him, which is completely unheard of, because a man of his age and stature and financial means would have never run. He would have had someone that he could have hired to run for him. He would have had a servant that would have done his running. The father ran down the road, flung himself on the son. <clears throat> Here again, remember the whole cultural essence that because how he had disrespected the nation, the family, the community, the son could have been stoned before he ever got back to the house. The father throws himself on the son, and he doesn't bring him back as a servant, but rather he brings him back as his son. He puts a robe on his back, he puts shoes on his feet, <coughs> excuse me, and he puts a ring on his hand. That brings us to verse 25. That brings us to seeing these three elements of a lack of humility and a lack of recognition of what God has done and a lack of faith to believe all the promises of God. This brings us to a story that explains this concept of being grateful in our receiving. Verse 25 says this. <clears throat> now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. There are four indicators, four indicators that we have no clue what it means to receive with thanksgiving everything from the hand of God. The first one is this, we act in ignorance. Now, notice what we just read. It says the son's out working. As he's coming home from working, he hears a party going on in his father's house. <clears throat> what does he do? He calls a servant. Servant comes to him. What is this all about? Now, here's how I know 
a long time ago, I, I had this sort of crisis of intervention in my own life, and I refused to look at Scripture like it makes sense. Here's how I know that this is a place that you can call foul in the life of this older son. For years, it started out as days, it turned into weeks, it rolled into months, it evolved into years. For years, there had been no celebration in that house. Because every day, even though his father had still been about part of his business, every day the father had got up and he had spent the majority of his time looking for his son to return. There was no partying. There was seriousness, somberness, brokenness. They had prayed for this son. They had prayed for this man's brother. They had prayed that God would work. They had prayed that God would return. And now as the son's coming in from working, he sees a celebration at the house, and he has the audacity to ask a servant, what's going on? <clears throat> he has the gall to act like he doesn't know what's going on. See, there's we act in ignorance. I, I'm not in any way, if you haven't figured this out by this point, I can butcher the king's English, so I'm not in any way going to try to break down the root of a word. But if you look at the word ignorance, there's a word there that sort of pops out to ignore. Most of the time when we act in ignorance, it's because we choose to ignore we choose to ignore what God's doing in our life. We choose to ignore what the body of Christ is doing around us. We choose to ignore something. This son, over the course of days and weeks and months and years, he had come to the place that he had chose to ignore what his father was most likely morning, noon, and night pleading for God to do. He chose to ignore. He acted <coughs> in ignorance. There is only one thing that this party could have meant. Verse 27. He said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. There was a choice to ignore what God was doing. <clears throat> As I was preparing this this week, y'all got to forgive me, any little swallow water. Awkward silence. As I was preparing this this week, <clears throat> over and over I kept thinking of examples of how to relive this. I had no clue that this man would actually be here this morning, but I remember back to one of the most influential times in my life spiritually that took place about 20-ish years ago, best that I can figure out. Uh, there was a man who's in this room now who was going to church where I was going to church, and it was the time of the year to where he was time for him to harvest his crop, which happened to be tobacco. Now, here's what you should know about that. It, around here, I'm trying not to southern this up too much. Rick's giving me the evil eye. I don't even have to look. But it was time to prime tobacco, okay? Here's the deal when it comes to priming tobacco. I did that one summer. Notice I said I did that one summer. It took me one summer to realize that I'd had enough of that, <laughs> that I needed to find something else to do. You won't talk about work. You won't talk about hot. You won't talk about nasty. You won't talk about not making enough money. You need to go prime tobacco somewhere, okay? For you people, that aren't cultured enough to know what I'm talking about, Google it, YouTube it, something, you'll see what it is, all right? So as it came time, days, hours away from time to begin this process of priming the tobacco, every bit of help he had left, every bit. Here's the problem. Can't do it without help. And in my spiritualness, I don't know why I've been doing spirit fingers, but in my spiritualness, God said, you need to pray for this man. 
you need to call this man and encourage him. So I called him. I don't know if he remembers this. I called him. Hey, man, I heard what happened. I'm sorry. I'm praying for you. You know, all that spiritual stuff that you say when you want people to think you're more spiritual than you are. That was it. I said all that stuff. <clears throat> Hung up the phone. And as only the Holy Spirit of God can do, he said, hey, idiot, instead of praying, why don't you get up and go help him? I said, whoa. <laughs> uh, Holy Spirit does call me idiot sometimes, honestly. If you knew what happened between ear to ear, I know that's not very. Look, God, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't have a good, no. I spent hours arguing with God. You know, I'm a seminary student. I got tests, you know, six weeks from now I need to be studying for. And I think I got a paper next semester I should start doing a little research for. I mean, I'm, I'm praying. I mean, come on, what else you want? I, I'm I, only as the Holy Spirit of God could do. How foolish can you be to think that you can ask me to do something when you have the ability and you're not willing to take a step to do it? But God is hot. I don't care. But God is hard work. I don't care. And it's only the Holy Spirit of God can do. He reminded me of the hard work of a cross and the hotness of the cross and the difficulty of and on and on and on until all the Holy Spirit could say is, what excuse have you got now? So the end of that story is, couldn't make this up. After about eight hours of arguing with God, I called the man back and he said, I just hired a whole crew of people. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <Woo. clears throat> I got slain in the spirit and everything. It was, it was awesome. Here's the point of that, though. I didn't know any of that. It was just simply a fact of, am I going to act in ignorance and choose to ignore, number one, what I see is something that I could do, but number two, something that God is clearly saying to do. See, I believe when we miss this idea of receiving with thanksgiving, the first reason that we miss it is because we act in our own ignorance, where we say we know better than what God says, where we say we're going to choose to ignore what God says to do or not to do. When we receive, we recognize everything comes from the hand of God, and we humble ourselves to the point that we submit to whatever he says to do, wherever he says go, in his time to do it. Number two, <clears throat> unjustifiable anger. i got to talk fast. You're going to have to listen fast. Unjustifiable anger. Before we get all bent out of shape, there is the reality that there are some things that are justifiable, righteous indignation. There are some things that we should be angry about. Injustices in this world, sin, different things. They should anger us, and there is a right way to be angry. <clears throat> but more likely than not, we are most of the time unjustifiably angry about things that simply don't go the way that we want them to go. Notice what happens here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 28, it says, But he was angry, and he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. Notice what happened. For weeks, for days, for months, for years... Their house had been a place of solemnness. There had been a place where morning, noon, and night, that family had begged God to do something. And on this day, God had answered their prayer. And as he comes back from the field, it says that he refuses to go in. How childish could this possibly be? He refuses to go in. Party of the century is taking place. The dad has spared no expense. He's killed the fatted calf. There's dancing. There's singing. It had to be loud. He heard it from a long way off. And he refused to go in. <clears throat> but as we've already seen once, the father, even though he would have been completely justified not to, chose to go out to meet 
his son. Why? Because the son was unjustifiably angry. What are you angry about? Just be honest. Not out loud, not to anybody else. In your mind, what are the things that make you angry? Right now, what are the things that make you angry? Are they <clears throat> something that affect you and you alone, your feelings, your emotions, your wants, what you desire, see as your needs? Or are they things that affect the world, those around the world, the body of Christ, the name of Christ? What are the things that make you angry? More than that, <clears throat> let me just ask you this. What was the, now this could get dangerous. What was the last thing that made you angry? Don't answer. Don't answer. What was the last thing that truly made you angry? <clears throat> you know what? Here's the thing that I hate, but I love, but I hate. But I'm supposed to say I love, but I really hate. Here's the thing about having kids I really hate. They tend to be that mirror that shows you how stupid you are. I mean, can we be honest? When we do the stupidest of things, most of the time, it's a child in their innocence that can say, but daddy. Or you just get a look of, huh. And that look of, huh, says, man, how stupid can I be? What was the last thing that you were angry about? If you can't bring it to mind, if you're man enough, woman enough, ask the people that are closest to you. Is it justifiable? Number three, we've got to move fast. I'm sorry. Pride. Watch out. We're about to go from preaching to meddling. Pride. I love this. All right. Verse 29. But he answered his father. <clears throat> I love this. I could not make this up. Look, these many years I have served you. Now look, that's true. That's 100% true. You ever heard that you can say the right thing, say it the wrong way, wrong mode? That was true. What he is saying is 100% true. All these years, I have served you. That's true. But look what it says. I never disobeyed your command. Seriously? Seriously? Never disobeyed your command. Have you ever, number one, seen a boy that completely became a man and obeyed everything his father said? Nah. Number two. Have you ever seen a boy that becomes a man that works for his dad that don't, when his dad is not there, do something his way just to prove that he knew how to do it better than his dad did? Yeah. That's reality. That's life. That's who we are. That's how we're wired. So for him to stand up outside of the house, number one, it gave him no credentials. If he wasn't man enough to go in and voice his problem, there was no leg to stand on. But for him to stand outside the house and his father in a complete effort of grace to come to him, for him to say, I've been here all this time. I've never disobeyed you. Seriously? Remember that whole thing of humble yourself, recognize, act by faith? That'll come back in a second. <clears throat> it goes on to say, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Seriously? Verse 30, but when this son of yours, hold up, if that's his dad... And the other son, this is dad. What's their relationship? It's brothers. Days, weeks, months. As this family had begged and pleaded with God to do something in the life of this younger son, I guarantee you that this son never prayed, Oh Lord, this son of my dad's. No, my brother. 
But because of his selfishness and because of that anger that wasn't justified and because of his choosing to act in ignorance, he now refers to his brother as this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You've killed the fatted calf for him? Are you upset when God seems still in your life but seems to be overly active in the life of someone else? Are you angry and upset when it seems like God is just continually answering somebody else's prayers and he's continually moving in somebody else's life and it seems that no matter what happens, everything is going right. Everything that God could possibly pour out on somebody else is happening. What is your reaction? When it seems that God's still in your life, but he's most active in someone else's, what is your, now, now if we're honest, that's never going to come out. It's never going to be a word we speak. It's never going to be an emotion that anyone else can witness. But in the depths of who you are, how is it that you respond to that? Number four, <clears throat> lack of compassion. Lack of compassion. Let me say this right quick. I had a seminary professor, <clears throat> very influential in my life, who used to continually say this. All too often, we to make too much of ourselves and not enough of Jesus. All too often, we make too much of ourselves and not enough of Jesus. So number four is we lack compassion. What does it mean to have compassion? Now look, I've already told you, I can butcher the King's English, so I'm giving you Perry's translation. This ain't in Webster's, and I did just say ain't. It's not in Webster's. This is Perry's translation. All of us know what it means to have passion, right? If you don't, go home with Rick this afternoon. Football will come on the TV, and a grown man is going to holler at the TV. That's how it happens. Passion. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. It's rah, something that has to come out. All right? Compassion is when I might not necessarily share that same emotion, but I accept it as my own. Maybe not with football. That makes as much sense. It makes more sense when a brother or sister is broken and hurting. And even though it doesn't affect, uh, uh, directly break or hurt you, you hurt because of that. When they cry, you cry. When they laugh, you laugh. They have compassion. We lack compassion. Notice this in verse 31. It says, And he said to him, <clears throat> Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours, has always been yours, is never going to stop being yours. Verse 32, It is fitting then to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother... Not my other son. This your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What excites you more than seeing God move in a person's life and bring them from death into life? See, as we talk about this idea of receiving, that's the part of the gospel that I myself struggled with for years. Grew up in church. Every time the doors opened, I was there. I knew the gospel. I could tell you about the cross. I could tell you about the birth. I could tell you all the facts, but it had never come to the place that I had received it in such a way that it affected who I was. Remember those obstacles we looked at earlier? We lack humility. I wasn't willing to humble myself and admit Jesus is Jesus and I'm not and I have a problem and I owe a debt and I can't pay it and he did. I I could regurgitate the facts, but I wasn't willing to admit it. I didn't recognize everything came from the hand of God. I wasn't willing to respond by faith 
to all of the promises of God. That was who I was. And I believe that's many of us in the church today. We know the stuff. We go through the motions, but our life has never been intersected with the gospel in such a way that it changes who we are day in and day out. <clears throat> Most of us are aware of this. There were two sons. There was a younger son who left. There was an older son who stayed. But there was actually a third son. The third son died on a cross in order that he could tell that story. See, the third son knew as he was sharing a parable with people. He knew what laid ahead. He knew that ultimately in the weeks, in the months, the days ahead, that he would die a death that you and I deserve to die, to pay a debt that we owed and could never pay, to die in place of you and I who deserve to die, a sinless, spotless sacrifice. Not to oversimplify the question, but the question is, have you ever received that in such a way that it changes and transforms your life? We're about to celebrate Thanksgiving. We have so many things to be thankful for. But we'll never fully experience what it means to have a heart of gratitude until we realize that from the depths of hell, God himself reached down and pulled us out by offering his only son to die so that we could have life. Have you received that? I didn't say if you prayed a prayer. I didn't say if you walked a church aisle. I didn't say if you'd done some kind of sort of ritual. No. Have you received that? Has there been a point in place in time in your life where the reality of the gospel has so intersected your life that it changes who you are, sir? That it changes who you are, ma'am? That it makes you a different man? That it makes you a different woman? Have you received that? Not do you have a knowledge. Not do you have an understanding. Not can you regurgitate the facts. Have you received that? See, true gratitude, this whole thing, three weeks. The overflow of praise, we show gratitude for everything that God does. When we give, we show everything that God does. When we receive with a recognition that apart from the hand of God, we are nothing. That's how we live a life of gratitude and of thanksgiving. Pray with me, please. Father God, thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you for what you have begun and for what you've promised that you will finish. Lord, I pray that you would take these words this morning, Lord, not a single thing that I've had to say, but the power of your word, Lord, would you take it and change and transform our life, Lord. For every person under the sound of my voice that is a disciple of Jesus, Lord, would you show us how to respond by faith differently today, not tomorrow, not next week, but today. Show us how to be a man or woman that reflects the work of Jesus Christ in our life. And Lord, for anyone in this room, I'm not ignorant enough to believe that in a room this size that there's not at least someone. Lord, maybe they know all the facts. Maybe they can tell all the stories. Anyone that's never received the work of Christ on the cross in a real and powerful, poignant way that it changes who they are, Lord, then I pray that right now, that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, that right where they sit, that they would cry out, Lord, I'm a sinner, you're a savior, you died in the place of me so that I could have life. Lord, would you give them the guts to obey as your spirit leads? And Lord, if they do that, would you give them the ability, the, the courage, just to find one of us as the service ends? And to share what God has begun so that we can share what God has promised to fulfill in their life. Lord, we pray 
all of these things so that your name would be lifted up, so that you could be glorified, so that you would draw all men unto yourself, Lord. And we trust that you will do exactly that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.